when it comes to design, it falls harder because designers are arguing for things. They're, they're making product decisions. And if they can't articulate or connect it to how it's going to drive value, if all they can say is, I think this will be valuable. I believe in this idea. And they can't say, here's what it will drive. Here's the data I looked at. Here's how I back this up with evidence. Nobody's going to buy that. And that becomes a weaker, you've now put yourself in a weaker position in your business, in your, in your organization. This is Fractional by Swarm. This is the podcast where we interview top fractional designers, engineers, makers, and builders. See how they carve their own path, build their side quests, and take on the passions in life. This is your gateway to living a successful fractional lifestyle. Lex Roman empowers early-stage solopreneurs to find their clients without playing Google and Instagram's games. A former Silicon Valley growth designer turned small business growth marketer, Lex has been crafting winning conversion strategies for companies like Nissan, Macy's, Gusto, and the Black Tux since 2010. She popularized the term growth design and built a community of over 2,000 practitioners that's still expanding called Growth Designers. Now, she's on a mission to help solopreneurs get seen and get sales without being beholden to big tech. With her company, Super Easy Digital, Lex supports small business owners with her signature marketing experimentation program, Growth Trackers. In this episode of Fractional, we talk about applying growth design to fractional work, capturing high-quality leads, creating valuable referral systems, and building a trusted network, whether online or offline. This is Alexis, your co-founder from Swarm. Please enjoy the episode. Hi, Lex. Hi, Alexis. How are you? I'm great. So we both are named Alexander, Alexandra, but that's great. (laughs) Welcome to Fractional. (laughs) Um, We've chosen different variations of that name. (laughs) Yes. And actually, I use Lex for my email. So... Or even. Lex, can you tell us a little little bit more about you and your story? I'm Lex Roman. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. My background is in tech. I call myself a growth designer turned small business growth marketer. So I used to work with companies in Silicon Valley, um, physically in Silicon Valley and conceptually in Silicon Valley. Um, I lived in California for many years and I supported companies with growing their user base, converting their user base into customers, retaining them and addressing things like churn. Can you talk a little bit more about what a growth designer means? Growth, a growth designer is a designer who is focused on growing the business. So, and that term, um, I think it's been actually pretty easily adopted, but it has not come without controversy. Mm-hmm. Many designers, I think, believe that they are acting in the interest of the business when they are acting in the interest of the users. And unfortunately, that's not, those things are not always connected. And so growth designers are paying attention to both, not just users. And that distinction I felt was really important. As one of the people that popularized the term growth design, I felt that distinction was really important because there were so many designers out there fighting for things that were not going to have an impact on the growth of a business. And they were getting boxed out of conversations about the strategy of the business because they were fighting for things that were not about the business. And I would argue in many cases, not about the user either. It was about aesthetics. And so growth design differentiated a specialization in design the same way that, you know, a UI designer would differentiate or a designer prototyper might differentiate. It's a similar sort of specialization. It's really interesting because like, 
I think the design industry is facing a reckoning right now where design has to really do prove its value. And in the first place, I think, you know, designers should be growth designers by default. But I don't know what your take on that is. Because like you have well, to contribute value to the business, right? You do. And I think that everyone wants to believe that they do. <laughs> contribute <laughs> value to the business. And... I think so that that has been the controversy and I get so every once in a while on LinkedIn, I'll get tagged in a is growth design, does growth design need to exist, right? Kind of thing. And we're way past that at this point. Growth design is yeah. well documented as a role people are hiring for. Um, like we're way past the like, should this be a thing? It's it's over, guys. Like if you ha if you haven't gotten on board, get on board. But I think that I think that designers struggle with business as a that's a generalization but i think that they struggle with shifting and matching the the practice that they've been taught and have developed with business and i i i mean you could say the same thing of engineers but i think engineers have always been so challenging to hire for and so respected based on their technical ability in a way that designers never have been so Nobody cares that engineers don't know about the business. <laughs> but when it comes to design, it falls harder because designers are arguing for things. They're, they're making product decisions. And if they can't articulate or connect it to how it's going to drive value, if all they can say is, I think this will be valuable, I believe in this idea, and they can't say, here's what it will drive, here's the data I looked at, here's how I back this up with evidence, nobody's going to buy that. And that becomes a weaker, you've now put yourself in a weaker position in your business, in your, in your organization. Most designers, I think, are focused on the craft aspect, right? It's like making better rectangles and... Exactly, <laughs> but, exactly. But not specifically strategizing around value. I mean, they, designers are good at value creation, but they don't think about the value capture side of it. And I actually want to transition to asking you about your career transition, right? Like you divested from tech. What's, what's that all about? Uh, I started my first company in 2019 as a growth design consulting business called Lex Roman Inc. And I went and worked with tech companies on contract full time. Mm. That was my first time. I had done a lot of freelancing, but that was my first time making the leap into, I'm going to work for myself full time. Mm -hmm. In 2020, when the COVID pandemic hit, I really struggled to justify and work through the messages I was getting from fellow growth practitioners in Silicon Valley. I will never forget an email that I got from Brian Balfour, who runs Reforge, about how Instacart's going to keep its profits up during the pandemic. Meanwhile, I've always been really involved in my community, seeing Instacart workers without PPE knowing that they're not getting sick days, knowing that they're not getting health care because they've been classified as gig workers. The, I, I could no longer sort of ignore the harm that we were creating by growing these companies that were mm. ignoring human rights. Amazon was- All costs, right? Exactly. Amazon was killing workers, right? Workers died at Amazon um, in the warehouses and, and people were becoming overworked during, like a lot of us tech, tech workers were home working but many other people were forced to be out in the community working in really dangerous conditions on behalf of tech organizations. And I, and I didn't see anyone talking about that. 
And I did not want to be a part of that anymore. So during 2020, I did a lot of community work. I ended up doing design work more in the nonprofit space and in the journalism and activism space. And in 2021, I started my business that I run now, which is called Super Easy Digital, focused on small business owners and their growth online. Initially, your company was around doing web design and SEO and like focusing on small business owners, right? That's yeah. In, that was in 2021. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution from that point? The main premise behind Super Easy was that I had assumed that coming out of the pandemic, business owners, small business owners, particularly restaurants, um, coffee shops, breweries, like small business brick and mortar stores would have realized how important online channels are because they were cut away from their the streetscape, right? They were no longer getting the walking traffic. They were doing online ordering and things like that. And they needed visibility online all of a sudden that they had never had to have before 2020. So in 2021, I assumed that they were still hungry for online growth. And I didn't think that they would relate to the term growth or think of it that way. I thought that they would think of it in terms of assets, web design, social media, email lists. So I framed it more around that. Google, to your point, Google and SEO has always been top of mind for small business owners, even though I think a lot of them waste their money and time on that. But so more like aligned with the assets and less in terms of the results because I didn't think they would relate to that language. Now, what I found is that brick and mortar business owners were still not interested in online channels and that the people that were interested in working with me were small business owners who don't have a storefront. So service providers, in many cases, freelance designers, freelance photographers, freelance business consultants, um, and people that are doing products, but without a storefront, like they're manufacturing things from home or they're making things in you know, like a cloud kitchen or something like that. Um, Or they're like a coach of some type. So they need visibility online. They don't have a storefront. And they're struggling because they've been throttled by Amazon, by Google, by Facebook. And they're not able to get the visibility without the amount of cash or time that these other companies are spending on these channels, right? They're competing with global entities that are also looking for eyes on these channels. So that's really challenging. And they recognize that much more than brick and mortar business owners do. And so in having those conversations, those business owners I found were a little bit more savvy and they were interested in the results. They wanted to book more clientele. They wanted to grow their business. They wanted to sell things like courses and memberships and generate a little bit more, I don't love the term passive income, but a little bit less, you know, trading time for money, a little bit more scalable digital products, things like that. So Yeah. So I've now shifted and super easy is now fully focused on specifically helping people book clients. So helping people find clients. And I think the way you phrase or essentially the way you strategize it, just based on how I look at it, is that you help people find leads. Yeah. So, I mean, my focus is on helping them find clients, but I, for what I found with small business in particular, which is quite different from if you're doing sales at a large organization, that the issue with small business owners does not tend to be that they can't close leads that come in. It tends to be that they're not getting the visibility and they're not getting the interest from those leads. So in general, small business owners, one to 10 person, I would micro business owners, we call them 
once they get the lead in the door, if it's a high quality lead, that's a good fit for what they do, they can close usually. Because as we were talking about before, they provide so much value. Clients can see that they're talking directly to the maker, right? And they're not dealing with like a layer of sales. So the close rate is actually pretty high. And I found that most people don't struggle with that part. What they struggle with is the visibility and just getting that inquiry in the door. So I, that's why I focus on leads. The goal is always close rate and like making sure your booking work. So I do have a couple clients who are getting leads and are struggling to close them. And we work on that as well. I wanted you to paint a story of how you did find your own leads. Yeah. Because yeah. you're literally a consultant, right? For other consultants. Yeah. How, how did that evolve for you? I mean, so I've been a consultant a lot during my career. My first um, job in tech was in agency consulting. I was a web design consultant. And, and I've done that on and off for my career. I'm very comfortable in that role. And when it came to moving into super easy, though, it was a very different landscape of clients, right? Because I had done a lot of work in tech. I had done a lot of reputation building in tech. So when I wanted to do tech consulting, I could lean on my existing relationships that I had already built, my existing content. I had done a lot of blogging and conference talks. Mm -hmm. I had established a reputation in growth design. So when I did reach out for roles, it was a lot, it was really just a lot simpler to get them and yeah. to say, okay, I'd like to do this contract. Um, so what I did with, with Lex Roman Inc, just to back up for a sec, is I found a job posting for a growth design role that was exactly what I wanted to do as a contract. And I asked if I could do it on a contract and they said, yes. And that I booked that as a contract, um, which I think is a great strategy, particularly for folks that are nervous about leaving full time, because you could always make a game time call about actually going full-time with that company if you really love working with them. But you can also say, no, this is a freelance gig. I'm going to do it for three months or six months or whatever, and then I'm going to move on to the next client. With Super Easy, because I was really focused on brick and mortar right out of the gate, I went out into the community and I, mm. I gave postcards out to business owners. I walked into businesses. I cold called businesses. I mailed postcards. In, I was living in Los Angeles at that time, and LA has a database of newly registered businesses. So I thought newly registered businesses might want an online presence. So I, I, I mailed them all postcards. I went to farmer's markets. I went to the Chamber of Commerce events. Um, I spent a lot of time in my community meeting and talking with business owners. And I was so taken aback by that they were not interested at all. So I could not get a single lead from those activities. And I had one conversation in particular with a coffee shop owner where I gave her my best pitch for what I was offering. And she said, nothing is cheaper than me doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was selling to the wrong audience in that moment. And I went back to the drawing board. I started, you know, reviving my growth practice of experimentation and saying, okay, who really are my most likely buyers who are problem aware for the online presence thing that I'm trying to solve? Um, and how can I reach them? And so I ended up moving more towards online strategies. And as you mentioned, Upwork was, I booked my first client through Upwork and um, like proudly did not pay them a platform fee because I coaxed that client <laughs> off of Upwork and took all that money for myself. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. And yeah, I'm so grateful for that client. 
You're, you're, you're the leakage aspect there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in Upwork's yeah. case, and as we were talking about before, in Upwork's case in particular, they are really exploitative of the way that they treat labor and they do not value, for example, I have a lot of experience doing web design. I've been doing it for over 10 years for notable companies. And they place me on the same tier as someone who started learning web design yesterday. And I'm not saying that that person shouldn't have access to those jobs. I don't believe in gatekeeping at all, but it makes it really challenging when you do have the experience to charge the rate that is commensurate with your experience, which is why I took that client off the platform. Um, now that client still got a great deal because my rates are very affordable, but because they're so low right now for small business owners, right? To make it affordable, I can't afford to pay a platform fee to Upwork and Upwork mm -hmm. isn't really doing enough value for the amount of <laughs> money that they're charging. Yeah. And one of my second channels, as we were talking about before, it was Squarespace's expert marketplace because, you know, Squarespace, WordPress, Webflow, they have communities of people who specialize in their, in their tech stack, basically. And, but Squarespace has hooked up with 99designs, which is now owned by Vistaprint, and similarly takes a really large cut of your fee. With introduction fee plus yeah. the platform they charge an introduction fee. Else. Yeah, it's really expensive. Um, and so I did get a lot of leads through that. So I was listed on their marketplace. I think I'm still listed on their marketplace. And I got a, a lot of leads from that. And I talked as many of those folks off the platform <laughs> in that case too, because I didn't want to pay three, $400 a lead, right? I also tried Thumbtack. Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried Thumbtack? Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've yeah. interviewed someone before. Yeah, they're a major scam. Now Thumbtack is a major scam. And so Thumbtack is an exceptional scam because in the case of Squarespace and Upwork, they're only charging you if you book the job. Thumbtack is charging you just to send you the lead and it could be the worst lead you've ever seen and they'll charge you 200 bucks for it. And they're sending wow. it That's to crazy. multiple small business owners. So they're just ripping off small business owners. Yeah, it's thumb, Thumbtack is in a real um, in a real spam space. <laughs> <laughs> this is very interesting to hear. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you tried all of these, you know, uh, different channels, <laughs> very yeah. interesting channels. I mean, they, it's the usual channels, right? What it is, seemed yeah. to work for you like o over time? What, what were you seeing that worked best for you that that's aligned with your values yep. and yep. something that sustains, you now? Yeah. So, and this is a, something that people will say to you um, over and over again, and I don't think you hear it until you experience it. What worked the best was building relationships with other business owners. And so specifically other service providers who serve my, save cli my same clientele with a different solution. So when I was doing web design, I built a relationship with a marketer and she would send me web design leads. Now that I'm doing marketing, I have relationships with web designers and they send me marketing leads. And I have relationships with copywriters, right? And photographers and other folks who serve my same crowd, but in a different capacity. And we send leads back and forth. And that has been a really strong, both an incredibly value aligned way to, to work. And also a really strong use of my time because I'm tapping into a highly qualified audience that that person has cultivated just like I'm cultivating my own audience. I think in your recent video that I watched, you talked about different types of lead categories and you specifically said 
that there are different ways to maintain relationships. So yeah. in, in in the sense of these, you know, word of mouth kind of things, referrals, how, how do you actually build those relationships? Because like, yeah. I think most freelancers really just don't know. I think that's why people turn to things like Google and Instagram and LinkedIn, because they it's a, it's a little bit of an abstract concept. It's like, Oh, just network and that strengthen your yeah. relationships. Right. Like, you know, you know, and it's like, that's not a thing we're taught in school. Um, it's not a things that our jobs necessarily going to teach us because it's not advantageous for them in most cases. So it's something that is sort of untaught and you have to go learn on your own. What I meant by that comment. So I, I think a lot of clients come to me and they say that their business has grown off of word of mouth and they're not sure what other channels they should be looking at. They're not sure how they should expand because word of mouth can feel really unknowable and unwieldy, mm. but I like for people to break down word of mouth. So what I had, what I was talking about in that video was that I think of my business partner my referral network from other business owners as different from my referral network from clients as different from my referral network from past colleagues in tech and social as, network friends. Ex right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because my, I'm not like going to my social network every Friday and saying like, Hey guys, let's have dinner and talk about what leads you want to send my way. Right. I, I'm not cultivating those relationships in that way. Um, with past colleagues, I'm reaching them on platforms like LinkedIn. And usually when I'm promoting workshops and things like that, I find past colleagues will boost my workshops and that will lead to leads. That's quite different from clients where I'm using, I'm usually asking more directly for a referral with them. Mm -hmm. And with business partners, not only am I asking more directly, but we're also doing cross promotion and cross collaborations. So we might host a webinar together. We might promote each other in our newsletter and things like that. So that's what I meant by I'm building those relationships in different ways. I'm treating those relationships differently. And I'm not just sort of saying, oh, I hope these people refer work my way. Like tell someone about me, right? I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for them to do that by providing the path for them to do that through. And you have a lot of resources on that on your website, which we I do on the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I have a referral um, toolkit with some of the yeah, like you can send language to people. Um, I, if you go to my website right now, I made a referral page and I made I added it to my top menu because it is so important to me to get referrals. A little more like that. Like I saw your website; it's literally at the top, right? Yeah, it's at the top. Yeah, I just added it recently because. I talk so much about referrals and it's funny because I didn't like mean to become the like referral queen, but it has really sparked a lot of people's interest because I think it's been hand waved in the past. Like people are like, Oh yeah, referrals, right? We know we should be getting them, but who knows how to get them. And it's like, actually you can really drive them. And from my background in tech, that was always a key part of our strategy, right? That's always a key part of the growth strategy of an app. Mm. Apps are not growing by people going to block parties and being like, hey, everyone, check out this app. Apps are growing because they've put in things like Dropboxes. If you refer a friend, you get some storage. Gmails, hey, you have an invite. Blue Sky right now, everyone wants an invite to Blue Sky, right? So like those are referral programs. <laughs> they are driving leads through referrals. Um, in automate, automated or system like syst through systems rather than through just like hoping people will spread the word. That's how so we're kind of incentivizing it right now at Swarm, right? Because we just recently launched Amber, our non-Web three 
token as we talked about earlier and people can redeem stuff um, for travel for food transportation credits perks and benefits stuff like that and our vision is really to let the fractional worker experience the benefits they would have if they were at the traditional company right mm-hmm. and that's kind of like our strategy now and people can send like client links and and that's what we've been building it's kind of similar to you know all the platform stuff i think that's absolutely right because you have a landing page and a link and it'll it'll do a lot of the work for them so all they have to do is copy that link and paste it and send it to someone and so we can use that same principle as service providers as freelancers we don't have it doesn't have to be a tech company that does that so yeah, for sure so you know when i started getting a little bit of traction with referrals in my business i created a referral program called friends of super easy and i put that landing page up really just to send people one on one so it used to be just sort of a hidden page on my website but recently i've started realizing the power of referrals not just for clients but also for things like growing my newsletter and so I put, I introduced Sparkloop. Have you tried Sparkloop? No, not yet. Okay. So Sparkloop is a newsletter referral program that you can add to your newsletter. It will track people's referrals for your newsletter subscribers. And then you can reward your subscribers for referring people to your newsletter. It's a great tool for people who run like content style newsletters. If you're running a Substack or something like that, it's a great tool for that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, I want more referrals for the newsletter because email is a fantastic channel as you build your business as well. And so the referral page that's up now, not only can you refer work my way, um, for my membership and for, you know, services, but also for my newsletter and it breaks down how to do all that stuff. And there's sample language on there. And then there's automated links that you can use to refer as well. What's, what's the, what do you think is the hardest thing for like fractional talent freelancers? Like, what's the biggest blocker for them, you know, in asking for a referral or getting one in general? I think there's two things, really. One is that they're not sure about the timing of when to ask Mm. for a referral, because it's not like your clients have like a list of referrals and they're like, here you go. Here's one. Right. It's not like a piece (laughs) of fruit they're picking off a tree. So the timing, I think getting the timing, a lot of times people will say at the end of a project, Hey, like, you know, if you want to tell someone about my work, I'd really appreciate that. And then they just forget about that client, move on. And that client may not have a referral in that moment. Likely they won't. And then you've lost that relationship or it's, you know, sort of gone away over time. And so timing is one thing. I think the second thing is it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people to promote themselves. I think people really struggle with that. So how do you resolve those those two, right? Like, what, what should fractional workers do? Yeah, great question. Oh, no one's ever asked me that. Okay, so one of the things I recommend people do is create email templates for referral asks. So you write a draft of an email and you save it wherever you can save it in a draft in your email tool, you can save it in a notes app, whatever. And it's just a, a template that you can fill in per client. And you can use it at the end of a win. Like if, if they, so I got an email from a client today and she was like, this is amazing. She said something like, you know, you're stuck with me. I'm, I, I love working with you so much. Like we're together for life or something <laughs> like that. And that was like, that was like a big win that. moment. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you get a client note like that. Wow. This went great. You can send them a note and say, Hey, I really appreciate that. Just so you know, I'm looking for next quarter. And if you know anyone, 
here you go. So writing that email template with, you know, little insert here blurbs, and then you can fill it in based on the context. In that email template, you can also prompt for the kind of work you really want. I think one thing freelancers do is they they take the work they can get and they don't ask for the work that they want. So you can do that in that email. You can say, I'm really focused on developing new brands. I'm really focused on, you know, this particular language. If you know anyone who needs this problem solved, then I would love to talk to them. So you can templatize all so that. You can attract the client that you want exactly. instead of accepting all leads. Right? Yes, yes. And particularly if you have a client where you're like, this was a less than ideal project, but I feel like this person might know my ideal client. You want to just see, seed all that with them and, and, and <laughs> prep them to use the correct language to describe your work and where you're focused. And so the email templates is one thing and thinking through what those timings might be when you want to send those, thinking through that, just once and not project by project, but saying, okay, at the end of a, you know, if I get a, an email that is celebrating our work, I'm going to send back a referral template at the end of a project. I'm going to send this referral template, right? Or two weeks after the project, I'm going to check back in on how things are going and I'm going to send this referral template. And the other thing is to really make sure that you are continuing to keep up with your relationships. So even though you're not working with that client, Maybe you're not working with them all year. You're working with them for a couple months. How can you stay in touch with them? One way would be to email them one-on-one. -on -one. Another way would be to create a segment of your clients in your email tool and just keep up with them as if they're your newsletter, right? So you have your 10 clients or whatever that you've worked with over the past couple of years and you email them once a quarter and you say, here's what I've been working on. Look at this cool case study from this project. Know anyone who needs this kind of thing? Send them my way and I'll send you a gift card, whatever. So, you know, we leave that stuff on the table and instead we go over to YouTube or Instagram and we're like shouting into the void. But those people who already know, like, and trust you, they are your best path to closing a new project. It's so true. I love that mindset. And I think, you know, specifically here in the Philippines, right? Although Low Swarm is a global company, a lot of people shy away from building that direct relationship or maintaining it, or ju people just really don't know how, how to do it. I mean, even I, like, it's the first time I've heard about those strategies. So that's really very amazing practical advice. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, something I, think... I want to ask you, uh, Lex, is you also mentioned that a tremendous lead generating thing for you, or maybe just a main uh, a relationship building mechanism is through local event networking. Like mm -hmm. you, you do the Atlanta Solopreneur Club, Atlanta's Rising Women, um, and et cetera, right? Like, what's that about? I love it. Alexis, you've been taking some notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We, yeah. we do our hard work here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love being in the community, as I mentioned before, it was a really important part of me starting super easy. And I'm always looking not just at where I can reach my audience, but also how I can do lead generating activities that I enjoy. We talk a lot about target audience when it comes to marketing and sales. We don't often focus on what do you like doing? So, so to your point about people struggle with referrals, I, I think that's a global struggle and it's because we struggle as people with human relationships. And mm -hmm. so if you don't like talking to people, email can be a good approach, right? If you don't like writing, you can get into podcasting. If you don't like public speaking, you can go into blogging. So there's always an alternative path. 
And so for me, local event networking, networking is something that I just, I enjoy doing it. And so I was like, I want, I want to be doing this. I want to be in the community. And so I'm going to explore this and I'm going to test different groups. And so in LA, I had done things like the chamber of commerce and farmers markets and things like that. Those were not good channels for me. So now I focus on local event networking with other online business owners and other service providers. So that's those organizations you mentioned are, are more aligned with that where it's other designers, it's copywriters, it's photographers, um, you know, financial professionals, things like that. People who don't run like restaurants per se, which is where, I don't know. Do you have chamber of commerce is there? Oh yeah. We, we do yeah. a lot, a lot, yeah. have a lot of them, but I'm not in those circles. <laughs> do they <laughs> tend to be like restaurants and real estate and more physical businesses or do they have everyone in them? I think more of everyone, but I'm not okay. exactly sure. But yeah, how, how so, did it work for you? Yeah, here it, I've found that it's really, it's almost like Main Street, right? So it's like the hair salon and the pet groomer and the restaurant and the coffee shop. They're in the Chamber of Commerce. But, you know, the copywriter who works behind the coffee shop is generally not. So yeah. instead, they're in more local event networking groups. And in tech, there you know, there's plenty of networking groups that are focused just on tech as well. Um, so same thing. That's an area it's when you're going to those events, you have a really qualified audience where the the likelihood that your buyer or someone who knows your buyer is there is really high because it's a targeted event, right? That's industry focused and interest focused. So get yourself in positions where the, the your target audience is there. Basically, you've already qualified all of exactly, them. exactly. And that principle applies online and off. So you know, walking into a room of, of people that are buyers or people who know your buyers is fantastic. Online, going listening to podcasts, guesting on podcasts that are targeting your buyers and people who know your buyers, writing on blogs that are targeting your buyers, um, going to speak at conferences or going to speak at events or pitching to a specific professional group. One of the strategies I used when I was starting Super Easy was so my mom's a college counselor. She helps kids get into college. Well, she's retired now. But she, used to help, she used to help kids get into college. And she was part of a professional organization of other independent college counselors. They fit into the online business persona. They don't have storefronts. They need visibility. And so hmm. I, I sent out a, through their partner program, a pitch to offer web design for college counselors. And, and I got a lot of leads that way because... It's a very focused group of people. I'm not just like blasting it off on Google to anyone. I'm targeting it at people that I believe have the problem that I solve and are in a moment where they want to pay for the solution. And it paid for itself, right? Because you, you it had did. to pay like a membership. Yeah, you had to pay. That organization charged me like 500 US dollars, which, you know, if I had booked one project, it would have covered that. But I booked several off of that. Yeah, yeah, props to you and shout yeah. out to your mom. Yeah, shout out to my mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Alexis, because I think we dismiss the people that we know in search of the people that we don't know. But the people that we know hold the keys to reaching that next layer of relationships. So really thinking about who did I go to school with? Who did I grow up near? Who have I been playing hockey with, right? Or riding bikes with? And who am I seeing on a weekly or monthly basis? And who's in my family and friend network or my past work colleague network um, or volunteer network or whatever that can possibly make an introduction to someone that would be a strategic person for me to know. And you're not playing a quantity game there. It's not like 
you know, got to catch them all. It's more like knowing the small set of strategic relationships you need in order to stay booked and, and pursuing those over time in a way that's sustainable for you. I love it. I think a lot of the things you talk about is like literally what most creatives need because like they really have no way of getting this knowledge out there by themselves <laughs> unless yeah. they, you know, they have the, they, they search for it. Well, there's such an aversion. Creatives, I think in particular, have a real aversion to marketing and sales. I feel like there's a, there, and this is sort of goes back to the growth design thing because designers are really turned off by growth language, you know, not incorrectly. I think that it can be, it can feel, have you, have you ever seen the TV show Mythic Quest? Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, I yeah. haven't watched season three yet. Okay, but you know Brad for monetization on Mythic Quest? Oh wait. Yeah. yeah. So Brad from Monetization, for anyone listening who hasn't seen the show, is the monetization <laughs> head at a gaming company in this TV show. And he is constantly going around ruining the game to monetize the game, right? To make money, um, ruining the whole creative direction of the, of the game. And so I think a lot of creatives see monetization, aka marketing and sales in many ways, as that sort of evil force. And so they don't, they don't know a lot of those you know, thought leaders in that space. They don't read those blogs. They are not on those newsletters. So you're right. I, there's a gap of access to that information. And they I don't- They hate Brad. <laughs> yeah, they hate Brad for monetization. They need to get to know Brad. But also I would say that marketers and sales, it's not necessarily that accessible to everyone. And a lot of the culture around marketing and sales has been, you know, we talk about used carsmen, used car salesmen. Have you ever heard about like used car salesman tactics, right? Just super shady and, you know, it's really sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think people just have that taste in their mouth from it. And so they don't, they don't think, oh, I, I should try to be more like this. That That's so true. And I actually do love bread from Montes. It's <laughs> just keeping the company afloat. Yeah. I think particularly for game companies, it's really hard. <laughs> well, so like I the opportunity with Brad for monetization is that if you can meet him and this, and this is hypothetical, right? Cause in the show, we won't tell you what happens to Brad for monetization, but so the, if you can meet him where he is, he's thinking about monetization. So the, you know, whoever Brad for monetization is in your life or in your client's company as a creative, if you can say, what if we solve this revenue challenge in a different way? Here's my proposal. That's really powerful versus saying, no, we should just not monetize that thing. And I think that's, again, where growth design becomes a really important role in the business because you're saying, I'm going to make money and here's how we're going to do it. And it's going to solve for the user and the business. And that's more powerful than just solving for the business. You know, Lex, you're, you're so smart. And <laughs> I wish like we, we've had this conversation like earlier, like years before this. Um, and we've spoken a lot and I want to ask more. But I just have one last question for you. Um, Lex, what's your general advice or maybe specific advice to all of the fractional workers out there listening to you? One of my favorite pieces of advice that I wish I had heard when I started my like freelance and business journey is to build an advisory board, build a support network around you. So that can include obviously referral partners and things like that. But I also think it should include people who you trust you can ask about things like finances, who you can ask about things like mental health, 
um, who you can ask about things like tooling, having, you know, other freelancers with you on this journey is really impactful. Other business owners, other entrepreneurs, because it can be really lonely. It can be really uncertain. Mm. So having other people who've been there or are there with you alongside you can really encourage you in moments where you're not booking work or you're having a challenge with a client. And it's really important to have that support network. So that's why, I mean, that's why platforms like Swarm are really exciting and it's, it's critical to put that in place for yourself. Yes. Thank you so much for, for the plug, Lex. Anytime. <laughs> um, I want, <laughs> uh, I wanted to add that Swarm is solving this problem. When we talk about our mission, we typically say we're solving the working alone problem and you wrapped it up really nicely. Thank you, Lex, for coming on to Fractional. Where can people find you online? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. We, you and I have been following each other online for so long, Alexis. It feels like Forever. it has been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you can find me at supereasydigital.com and I'm most active on Instagram at supereasydoesit. Okay, make sure to follow those links on the show notes, everyone. Thank you so much, Lex. Thank you.